0: Good morning. Last week, if you were here, we looked at a building community, a group that despite major opposition came together to rebuild a physical wall around the city of Jerusalem. This coming together to work on the wall is what I called a communal act of worship because it was done in response to who God is and what he had done by his expression of forgiveness and grace to the people there. And this morning, I'd like to continue our discussion and not just talk about communities that build things together like walls or even communities like ours that build church ministries, but rather I'd like to talk about the process community building, a process by which we build up one another. We build up one another in love so radically that it's weird, that we love each other so well that it draws the attention of other people and that they take notice. Because community building is really what Christian churches are all about. We are meant to be a diverse group of people that live in such loving relationship with one another that are so welcoming and so hospitable that it's rare. That it draws, you know, makes people's heads turn And we should be the type of community that everybody would want to be a part of, right? If you were a person and you were hurting and you were in need, wouldn't it be great if he just says, oh, there's a church, there's a group of Christians, I know they will help me. We want to be the kind of place where everyone is accepted just the way they are, so that they don't have to feel ashamed, so that they don't have to try to impress anyone, Where nobody's in need because everybody shares what they have? Where everybody's valued and respected simply for the fact that they were created in the image of God? Church communities should be the very first place people think of when they think of people who love one another. Too bad this isn't what most people think of when they think of the church. Last week I went to see the Broadway production of Sister Act down at the Paramount Theater, It's a story of a woman named Dolores. She's a woman who wants to be a famous singer. She drinks, she smokes, she dresses a little bit provocatively, and she has the unfortunate mishap of seeing a man get shot. And so she's placed into witness protection, and the police put her in the one place they are sure no one will ever think to look for somebody like Dolores a church convent. Now, when Dolores arrives, the head nun, Mother Superior, makes it quite clear that contact with the outside world is not condoned. And that's not just for Dolores' safety, it's actually for the protection of all the nuns. You know why? Because out there, outside of these walls, sin ra- is, is rampant. Right, And so Mother Superior goes into this song, it's called Within These Walls. And I thought, how ironic. We talked last week about the importance of building a wall, but building a wall for identity, building a wall to signal God's strength and protection. But she's talking about building a wall that divides, building a wall that insulates her from the outside world, from all the danger that is always lurking so that she can enjoy the safety within. And as you might imagine... Dolores is a little bit less than thrilled to be there. This is an old, dying church. It's on the brink of being closed. And she can't understand, and I would say quite rightly, why anyone would want to be connected to this place. It is so cold and depressing. And it's something that stuck with me the entire evening. This image of church as a gray, sterile building. That's the last place people who aren't connected to church would want to ever be, a building that's insulated from the outside world by thick walls. Frankly, it made me really sad. The idea that church is boring and lifeless and irrelevant was the unchallenged premise at the outset. And as I looked around at the theater full of people, and they were laughing at the whole setup because they knew this is what most people think about church. Church. This play wouldn't have worked if it wasn't. The assumption is church is dry. It is boring. And now in the musical, people are eventually drawn into the church because of updated music and nuns that rock out in flashy costumes. And it makes for fun theater. But we all know that it's going to take more than a little fun music to make a church attractive to other people, even if you have a leader like Chris, right? What it takes to make someone really want to be a part of a church community is for it to function like a loving group of people. And this is what the main character, Dolores, ultimately comes to experience. She's finally accepted. By the end of the movie, she's accepted by Mother Superior for who she is, she's valued and treated with respect. She's enfolded into this community of sisters. They share stories together. They share dreams. They talk about their fears. They support one another. They work with each other through challenges. You know, last week we talked about some of the elements of building community, right? These sisters were bonded together by working towards a common goal, which for them was seeking for the Pope. And then they were also bonded together by working against a common enemy, who in her case was the guy who was looking for her to kill her right? But when when we as a community have a common goal and we're working together towards common enemy, not ourselves, right? Community is built, but it's also built as we love one another, as we practice unconditional love, radical grace, mutual respect, despite personal differences. Now, if you're a person that's been to a place that calls itself a church of Jesus Christ, but it did not welcome you because of the way you dress, because you had a record, because you were pregnant and you weren't married, because you're gay, or because you battle an addiction. If this church didn't welcome you because you're single, or because you have an accent, or because you're old, or because you're inexperienced, if you have experienced not being welcomed, at a church that calls itself a church of Jesus Christ, I want to say on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. The last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, before he was arrested, he had this intimate dinner with them. And the words that he shared are really from the depths of his heart. You can imagine, it's his last evening with them. The things that he says are quite significant And he tells his closest friends, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The way that people should be able to identify that we are Christians, the mark that should should signal to everybody is our radical love. As followers of Jesus, our instructions are to follow his example, his selfless, sacrificial way of living. Jesus was a man who wasn't afraid to touch somebody with leprosy. He was a man who spoke with grace and tenderness to a woman who was caught in adultery. He was a man who received a religious leader with doubts and questions in the middle of the night. He's a guy who allowed kids to just crawl up on his lap and be silly. He's a man who forgave his closest friends, even though they betrayed him. And he says, follow my example. We are to love just the way that Jesus loved. And by doing so, people will come to know him the way that he really is. I think so many people reject him because of the way that we misrepresent him. But if Christians did a better job of saying this is the Jesus we believe in, this is what he modeled, and we seek to live the way that he showed us, I think that more people would be attracted to him. That same evening that Jesus spent with his disciples, the night of his arrest, Jesus prayed a prayer for those who would believe in him as a result of the disciples' teaching. And we here we are hear believers in Jesus because of the disciples' teaching. So I love this prayer. This prayer pertains to us directly. Jesus said, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples who he just prayed for, the disciples that were with him. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they also be in us so that, the purpose is, so that the world, the rest of everybody else, may believe that God sent Jesus. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are, the, as we are one. I in them And you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. If we want the world to know that Jesus loves them, we need to be one. This comes from John chapter 17, and this was the text used at my wedding. Doug and I figured that if we could live as one, if we could remain united despite being as different from each other as we are, having the distinct personalities that we have, if we could remain united despite all the crazy challenges that the world throws at us, and if we could stand the pressure to be, withstand the pressure to be divisive and yet continue to remain as one, it would certainly be a testimony to the power of God. And maybe people would believe in Jesus, the one who is our model for how to love and to live. He and I went through a very dark season in our marriage, and I was doubtful at times that we were going to make it. But praise be to God, people prayed for us and intercede, and we got help, and we are now 13 and a half years into it, and love and life. And I know that there are people who walked with us during those dark seasons and look at us now and have hope. They have to believe that there was a supernatural God at work in our lives because it was certainly not anything that Doug and I did on our own. And we have friends now who struggle in their marriage and look at us and say, we can have hope because we saw a resurrection miracle happen in your lives. And of course, the context in which Jesus was talking was not to a couple about to be married. But he was talking about the larger body, the church. His prayer is addressing church with a capital C, each one of us. Church, if we could live as one, if we could remain united despite all the differences among us, despite our various personality types, despite all the crazy challenges and obstacles we face as a community if we could withstand the pressure to be divisive and remain as one, if we could do this, it would be a testimony to the power of God because it is so rare. It is so unnatural. It requires the supernatural. Then maybe people would come to believe in Jesus, the one who is our model for how to love and how to live. Now, granted, this is no easy task I've gotten to know you all. I've been here since December. You're not an easy lot to live with. (laughs) And I suppose, if I were honest, I might have an annoying quirk or two myself. (laughs) So, how are we going to do this? How are we going to live in loving unity with one another? How are we going to make ourselves approachable and inviting to guests who come? I believe there's a million practical little things that we can do. And I have to tell you, loving people, developing relationships, talking about community, this is my bread and butter. I love this stuff. I love people, (laughs) annoying people and all. I have many, many books. I've read and thought about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot. And if you want to learn more, come and talk to me. I have tons of resources. But we don't have time to go into all that now. But I've made a brief list just a little list of practical things that you can do to help us be a more loving community. Smile more. Look like you're loving life a little bit. Don't be such sour Think about Mother Superior. Right? Think about that bishop I told you last week who had that angelic face. Take the initiative. Don't wait for somebody to come up to you. I don't care if you're new or not. I don't care who you are. You take the initiative. You don't wait for somebody. You go up and introduce yourself. You don't have to say, oh, are you new here? If you don't know who they are, introduce yourself anyways. Share meals together. Why don't you invite someone to go out to lunch after church today? Or say, come on over to my house for coffee this week. Carpool. Get to know somebody in transit. That's some of, where some of the best conversations Take place. Take a walk together. That was totally the way that Jesus got to know people. Resist gossip. Say thank you. We teach our kids this all the time, but I think as adults, we tend to forget. Exercise more patience. Listen. Listen to one another. Praise. Praise each other. Encourage one another with your words and your actions. Forgive, ask for help, and then offer to help. These are simple things, but if we begin to employ them, we will grow into a community that is known for our love. Of course, the list could go on and on and on, and I hope that you'll put some thought into what God may be prompting in your heart to do so that we could enhance and build up our church community. But the real starting place in talking about building up an authentic and loving community is our understanding of who Jesus is. If this is not straight in our minds, all efforts to develop a loving and authentic community will be futile. The truth of the matter is that while it sounds nice, And while everybody would probably say that they yearn for world peace and want people to live in harmony together, I would bet you're really not that interested in making it happen. You want it, but you don't want to make it happen. We're not really all that into allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. At our core, we're not really into putting people and their needs above our own. And that's what would have to take if we were going to be a loving community. Consider some of these quotes and see if you resonate with any of them. This first one is from Jean Vanier. While we are alone, we could believe we loved everyone. But now that we're with others, living with them all the time, we realize how incapable we are of loving, how much we deny to others, how closed in on ourselves we are. A character from a Desketsi novel says it better, I think. In my dreams, I'm very often passionately determined to serve humanity, yet I'm quite incapable of living with anyone in one room for two days together, and I know that from experience. In our dreams, and when we're alone, living together in community, loving one another, it sounds great, But if we're hard pressed, we'd probably have to admit that what we truly desire is just to have our own little independent space, (laughs) to be able to do whatever it is that we want. And you can have your space, and you can have your space, and you can have your space, and let's just all coexist and be happy together. But that's not community. At most, that's a collective of individuals living peaceably together. It's not real, authentic community. Real community is much more messy and involved. What it requires is being honest with ourselves. When we're honest with ourselves, that makes us vulnerable with other people. When we're honest with ourselves, we don't try to portray ourselves as better than we are or having more than we do. We present ourselves to our community, warts and all. And you know what? Without Jesus... This would be difficult to do. Because our natural tendency is to want to make ourselves seem smarter, healthier, more beautiful, more successful. Because if we don't, otherwise, people might think we're weak. They might take advantage of us and determine that we're not worth very much. But if you've already worked through all this, if you've already come to acknowledge and accept, you've got faults, I've got faults. And that there's always going to be people who know more than me or have more than I do or who've done more than I have. And that nothing I do, if I can just face up to the fact that nothing I can do will ever make me a better person. And if I could just come to recognize that Jesus loves me just the way I am. If you would just believe that Jesus loves you, yes, you, just the way you are. No matter how messed up you are or think you are. No matter how messed up you might become, that you can experience freedom to live as your true self. You have to believe this in order to do that. You will then be able to engage in community life with other people without pretense because you've already come to accept your weaknesses. You don't need to be afraid of someone showing them to you because you already know them and you know that you're loved anyway. And of course, we're still going to be affected by what other people think and say. That's just how it is. But maybe we'd be able to hold it a little more lightly if we could cling to the fact and remember that Jesus loves us. Jesus accepts us. That's how we can engage in loving community. And if we're going to develop this loving, authentic community, we don't have to just be, it's not just about being honest about ourselves, but we also need to be honest about other people. Because the truth of the matter is, every other person is also someone who's afraid of being vulnerable, someone who has the fear of being judged. They too have warts, and they don't want other people to see them. And again, this would be problematic without Jesus, because then I might be tempted to think I'm superior to them. Once we get into that mind game of comparing and judging one another, I might think, well, at least I'm better than that person. But if I remember and I keep ever present in my mind that I'm a fallen person who's been saved by grace, that I've got warts and that Jesus loves me just the way I am, then perhaps I can show a little more compassion and a little more tolerance for other people in spite of their sins, in spite of their fallenness, in spite of their warts. Besides, Jesus modeled for us the way in which we ought to live for one another. And you know what he did? He laid down his life for his friends. If each one of us in the church were to truly follow Jesus' example, if we were to do what he said literally and to daily take up our cross, which means to die to ourselves and to consider others as better than ourselves. If we were to really act on this command that Jesus does give us in Scripture, how different our community would be. What might it be like if we spent more time serving others than worrying about our own gain? What might it be like if we accepted one another as we are and stopped working so hard to appear like we're people who have it all together, working so hard to hide our faults from everybody? What might it be like if we weren't so caught up and running around and we really took the time to be in relationship, to listen to one another, to get to know each other, to talk to share, to do life? What might it be like if we lived as people who are fully accepted and unconditionally loved by the God of the universe? What would that look like? Church, if we did this, I bet people would sit up and notice. I bet people would be drawn to us there are so many people who long to belong to a community who wouldn't want to be a part of that kind of group. I suspect that God would be glorified and Jesus would become more fully known if we did this. Let's follow his example as written for us in Paul's Paul's letter to the Philippians. Where he says, brothers and sisters, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, And of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. We are so thankful, God, that you call us to be a community, that we are not meant to live as isolated individuals going at it alone. But you bring us together as a body with different gifts that we might share with each other, that we might learn from each other, that we might depend upon one another. You infuse this community with your Holy Spirit that we might be able to do that which we could not do on our own strength, mainly to follow your example, to love as you loved, Thank you, God, that you sent your son, Jesus. Thank you that you have given yourself to us, not for anything that we have done, simply as we are, warts and all. Help us, God, to remember that we are people who live by grace, that we might extend grace to others, that we might resist the temptation to to compare and to judge and belittle Help us to be community builders. Help us to edify one another, to build each other up with our words, with our deeds, with our thoughts. God, make us into a church that is your radiant bride, that loves each other in such radical ways that it draws the attention of the people in our community all around us, that they might know that you are the God who sent your Son on behalf of us, that you are the God who loves fully, completely, and unconditionally. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.